Welcome, Medical Education Podcast listeners, to another episode. This is Kevin Eva, the Editor-in-Chief of Medical Education again. This time I'm sitting in my old home, uh, McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, with Jeff Norman, who is the Assistant Dean of the Program for Educational Research and Development, Professor in Clinical Epidemiology and Biostatistics, and <clears throat> recent Karolinska Award winner, among uh, many other accolades. Thanks, Jeff, for doing this with me. Quite welcome. Good to be here. Uh, I asked Jeff in to in your own office. Yeah, <laughs> I asked Jeff to record a podcast with me because he has one of three papers that are being published in the August issue that have been written by the first three Karolinska Award winners, Ron Hardin, Jeff, and Hank Schmidt. And I just wanted to give you a chance to reflect verbally on your career, medical education as a field, and how it's evolved, and what went through your head when you were given this challenge of writing a retrospective on your 40 years or so of experience in the field? Well, as I was reflecting on this podcast, in fact, it's not 40 years or so, it's almost 40 years to the month when that paper appears that I began in medical education as a very young Turk. As you carry on in your career, you end up spending more time looking backwards than forwards. And so, inevitably, I look back on the many generations of people I've known in the field, and the way the field has changed now. I guess it's easy enough to plot progress in the field in terms of the nature of the questions we're asking, the kinds of methodological games we're using, and so on and so forth. But I guess it struck me as I was looking back, not so much that, but the nature of the people who've been involved in the field. I got into medical education, like many in kind of the one and a half generation. That is to say, we weren't the founders of the field. Those credits are given to people like George Miller first, Chris McGuire, Hilly Jason, Steve Abramson, all of whom traced their roots back to State University of New York, Buffalo in the 50s. I came along in the second generation in the late 60s and early 70s. And one of the things that characterized my generation, particularly in North America, was that all of us kind of looked up one day with a dazed look on our face and said, what am I doing in medical education? And the answer was basically we had mortgages to pay and mouths to feed. And many of us came with delightfully atypical and frankly useless backgrounds. <laughs> I guess my PhD in nuclear physics, however impressive it sounds, is, exemplifies the fact that I assure you that despite some recent writings to the contrary, quantum mechanics really says very little about the nature of learning. <laughs> Well, in the paper, you used generations and immigration as a metaphor for the evolution of the field, which I found quite intriguing. Would you mind elaborating on that for the listeners? Well, my generation was a generation that kind of left the new world, left for the new world of medical education, hoping for a better place. It really does resemble a lot the early ways of European immigration to North America, I think, in that we came with skills in some domain that we never were able to apply when we got to the new world. It wasn't exactly that we ended up in menial tasks, far from it, but I think we approached those tasks in fairly menial ways in retrospect. Uh, the field was almost boring. We were proving what seemed at the time to be self-evident truths. There were times when I began the career where I really started to look in the mirror and say, what are you doing here, Jeff? This is you know, only one shallow step above Pepsi versus Coca-Cola. <laughs> and of course, in hindsight, the reason for that was because none of us possessed the right kind of specialized knowledge to really bring a better conceptual understanding of the nature of learning to the job at hand. And 
be all of us in that first generation really were distinguished by the fact that whatever prior experiences we had were by and large irrelevant. Not universally true, of course. I can name people in North America who did come in with appropriate backgrounds in psychology, sociology, whatever. In Europe, there was a much more of a tradition of the first generation medical educators having the right kind of training. People like Case von Doven, Hank Schmidt, Vinan Vinan in the Netherlands, people in the UK, they were the right kind of people. But my generation in North America really weren't. What do you think was the tipping point in terms of that generation you're describing and the, I guess, more professional version of things we're seeing today where people are going into this field quite deliberately and training for it? Well, we all got academic positions. By and large, we all trained on the job. And if you looked at our track records, as I did for a few of us, they were pretty dry deserts for the first few years. We weren't doing very much because we weren't capable of doing very much. And so our training, such as it occurred, arose on the job and arose at least in part because we managed many of us to get particularly fruitful collaboration with people who really did know their stuff, whether they were psychologists or sociologists or whatever. And once we acquired some of those special skills, then we became more productive and gradually, very, very gradually, we started to call ourselves something else. I mean, it's only fairly recently that I've called myself a psychologist. Once we've started to get that kind of specialized knowledge, then we're in a position to start cloning the species like all good academics. And in my case, that meant bringing in youngsters, like some young fellow named Kevin Eva, <laughs> who learned a PhD in psychology, in cognitive psychology, and had the benefit of a supervisor and a mentor who was a card-carrying cognitive psychologist, Lee Brooks, and who taught Kevin all the real understandings and skills and theories and conceptual metaphors that psychologists know. Well, in fact, most people wouldn't even know that I went into cognitive psychology purely because that was your advice on how to have a career in medical education. That's right. And so that does lead me towards wondering, given the evolution you've described, wasn't deliberate or intentional, at least in the way it played out. Is it the same advice you give to people nowadays who come for consultations around how to get into the field? And what's changed in the last decade and a half or so for you? Well, let me back up before I answer that last question. Yes, I still believe, and I guess I had the insights back when you were a young young Turk. Okay. I still believe that... Uh, back when? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're still a young Turk. All right. Kevin, it's all less and less so every every single week. <laughs> I can spot a few gray hairs. <laughs> Obviously, even back when you were a student, I believe very strongly that a strong disciplinary base actually had greater value than trying to directly leap into medical education. I think, in part, I was influenced very strongly by one of my own mentors, a guy named Lee Shulman, who will be known to many of you. He went on to be the president of the American Educational Research Association then the president of the Carnegie Foundation, and certainly the stimulus behind the recent report around the professions. Lee wrote a paper years and years ago called Disciplines of Inquiry in Education, where he made the claim that education is not in itself a discipline. It's a field of study. It's a very interesting field of study for social scientists of all breeds. And what he was really arguing for is that we shouldn't pretend that we are researchers in education. We should acknowledge that the psychologists, the sociologists, the anthropologists, all of those will find education an interesting field to play in. And I think that remains the case. Um, looking at my own career, it's very 
very clear to me that the most salutary experiences for me were the collaborations I established with people like Lee Brooks, card-carrying and thoughtful and profound cognitive psychologist, Lee Shulman, profound educational psychologist. And those people brought an understanding of both theory and method, which ultimately, as I began to acquire the same kind of understanding, led to much more thoughtful and much more profound research, I think. And I'm not alone. I recall vividly when Glenn Regeer first recruited Lorelei Lingard, a rhetorician, to his field. And Glenn would just talk effusively about the interesting perspective that Lorelei brought to the field. And of course, that's been proven the case. She's done lovely studies on analyzing the kind of communication that emerges in the operating room. Far more recently, I just recruited a young fellow named Lawrence Grierson, who has a PhD in kinesiology, and suddenly began to recognize that those folks who are in the business of creating better athletes understand motor skills at a level that we haven't even begun to dream about. All of these suggest that if we look around to the various disciplines, that each one of those disciplines brings not just methods, not just theories, but if you like epistemologies, ways of thinking about the world that enrich the field. And it's those kind of ways of thinking that ultimately lead to substantial progress. Too much of education tends to often be putting p-values on self-evident truths. And that's ultimately very boring and not very insightful. Yet if we understand things at a more profound level, as the disciplines can, I think we can go much further in really progressing in our own field. I think having the individual who's received thousands of citations for statistics books criticizing p-bias is probably the right, <laughs> pla probably the right place to stop. Um, on behalf of the field, I'll thank you for laying the groundwork for such a fertile field that many of us are now enjoying working in. And it goes without saying that your contributions have been absolutely immense. And so thanks for that and for being part of this podcast. The paper, just as a reminder for those of you listening, is called 40 Years of Medical Education Research. And it's going to be published in the August version of Medical Education, and there you'll see much more detail and quite interesting metaphors that, that Jeff's provided for how the field's evolved and where it might go. Thanks again. Oh, you're quite welcome. Mm -hmm.